Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Rana Arshad Hafiz and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we are going to hear from Chrissy Allison about building a bridge to high school and middle school math. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. Before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. Our speaker tonight is Chrissy Allison. Chrissy Allison is the founder of Mindful Math Coach, whose core purpose is to support secondary math educators in providing more equitable learning opportunities for students of color. Since 2016, she's worked to answer the question, how can we support students with unfinished learning in math? A former math teacher, instructional coach, and director of math professional learning, Chrissy has unique insight and expertise about what it takes to shift teacher practice to improve student learning. As host of the Mindful Math podcast, she interviews experienced educators and shares her own lessons learned to help teachers and coaches in their day-to-day -day work. A coach of coaches, Chrissy is honored to work with school-based coaches, math specialists, and network leaders as they lead their teams in this important work. Chrissy, it's all yours. All right, well, hi, everyone. Um, thanks so much for joining me today or tonight, depending on where you are in the world. And I see we have people from all over. Um, so that's great. We will get started. I wanna honor your time. I know you're all extremely busy and um, have a lot to do. So let's get going. I'm gonna take myself off of video so that I'm not blocking the screen here for you. And if there's time for q and I hope there is at the end, I can come back on. We can't hear you. Chrissy? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. All right. Should I just start from here? <laughs> All right. I think when I turned off my camera, it turned off the um, sound. Anyone who, who knows me or listens to the podcast, you'll hear me say that technology is not my number one strength, but I am working on it. So thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> I'm glad you can hear me now. So I won't repeat what Rana said in the introduction, but I did want to mention um, this part about being a direct, director of math content design and professional learning, because I had the chance for about five years to work at some national nonprofits 
which gave me the opportunity to hear and see firsthand like what was going on in many schools and many districts across the United States. And so what I'm going to share tonight with you are um, some things that are trends and some things that I've learned work across, you know, lots of different settings and lots of different schools, all based around this idea of what do you do if students are coming to you with a lot of unfinished learning, a lot of, you know, uh, missing prerequisite skills from prior grade levels and things like that. I am committed to anti-racism. Um, have been, you know, a proponent for, you know, equity for years and years, but over the last couple of years have really dug more into learning what that really means and what that takes and looking at myself, especially as a white woman and, you know, my own privilege and things like that. Uh, finally, I founded Mindful Math Coach about six weeks before lockdown. So it has been an interesting journey. Uh, over the past two years to um, respond to the needs of educators who are still doing the hard, you know, and really important, you know, day-to-day -day work with students. So thank you again for uh, welcoming me tonight to share with you some of the insights that I have and lessons learned over the years. On the topic of unfinished learning, um, you know, this is something that when I was a teacher, I taught middle school and all of my students, not all of them, but a large percentage of them um, came to me with unfinished learning. And so from, from that perspective, I've really been working on it since about 2002, I guess, but um, really started focusing more so about five or six years ago, 2016, when I was um, in a position where other people were coming and asking me, you know, what do we do? They were asking for guidance. What do we do? I'm working with a school where the teachers are saying a lot of the students are behind. A lot of the students aren't ready for the grade level content. You know, what do we do? And I found that I didn't really have great answers. And when I went looking for research, I couldn't find much either. So since then, um, you can see here, I've really tried a lot of different ways to find and share some strategies and things that help with this and um, allow us to accelerate the unfinished learning and support students with feeling really good about their journey along the way. So um, there you go. I'll keep us moving here. We have two goals for this session. And the first one is to identify key areas to focus your work when students have significant unfinished learning. And I say this because in my experience, when you're working in a school or a district where there are a lot of students who need a lot of support, there can be a tendency to just take on more and more initiatives over time. And the improvement efforts can look something like, you know, this, right? And, and you'll hear sometimes this idea of throwing spaghetti against the wall and, and things like this. Um, but in my experience, you know, sometimes we'll bring in a new curriculum, we'll try a new technology program, we'll have a focus on formative assessment, or, or we'll bring in a consultant, or we'll, uh, you know, do a PD about culturally responsive teaching, or we'll, you know, talk about building community or, or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're like, there are like 10 or 15 things that I feel like I'm being told to do and I, they just don't all fit in the day. They don't fit in my planning time. They don't fit in my prep period. And, and I also need to sleep. 
So that's why one of the goals today is to help you kind of hear some of the things that I believe make the biggest difference and even to give you kind of an order in which you can start moving through them so you can focus on one piece at a time and feel progress and see progress and not get overwhelmed or um, you know burned out as you're doing so. The second goal for this session is to provide an actionable process to help students succeed with rigorous grade level content and to address some of the common challenges. All right, so first off, I wanna hear from you, what do you think about this question? What do you think is different and more challenging when you're teaching students who have historically struggled in math or who are missing prerequisite skills from prior grade levels. So I wanna give you about you know, 15 or 30 seconds to just type your thoughts here in the chat. Let's hear, what do you think are some of the unique challenges? Students' mindsets, they might think they can't do it. Keeping students' confidence up negative thoughts about math, being shut down, um, like challenges with motivation, students' perceptions of their ability, uh, racial and gender stereotypes, these are really great. Current and previous rates of absenteeism. Um, yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, giving up or, or, or stop trying, yep, okay. Totally agree. I've seen the same the same thing. And so we're going to start, I'm going to start with sharing a few of the challenges, many of which you, you all mentioned as well, and possibly a new perspective or way to look at the challenge. So we're going to go through three of those here. The first one is that you know, math is a progression, right? So one of the biggest challenges is that when you're trying to teach students who have these missing prerequisite skills, it can legitimately be really hard to move forward because there is something there that's getting in the way. And, you know, in the past, I felt like it was this really, really like linear progression and kind of had this um, misunderstanding or kind of misperception that you really couldn't move forward if students didn't have the prior skills. And you know, so I kind of use this, this staircase here because that's really how I used to think about it. And I think how we talk about it sometimes, like if you don't have step one, two or three, like you're not ready for step four or five, like how could you possibly be? But, you know, in the last five or so years, as I've really dug into this topic, I've started to think of it more as kind of a web like this, where there are lots of different points connected to lots of other different points and even if you haven't, even if a student hasn't mastered a skill or really understood a concept very, very deeply, there's actually um, an opportunity in the fact that math is so connected. Because when we are moving on to, um, you know, the higher grade levels and the next, the next, um, you know, standard in the progression there's actually this opportunity to weave in the work from the prior grades, you know? So rather than looking at it as like, oh, they're missing it, we can't move forward. It's more so, you know, if you can shift your mindset to, 
ah, this is like a really relevant opportunity to continue working on fractions, to continue understanding what it means to solve equations, then um, you can kind of, you know, spiral it in and continue moving forward while you are, you know, shoring up those skills from the grade levels beforehand. And I have um, this a blog post that touches on this as well. And I'll, I will share a link with you at the end to a, a Google Doc where I've put all the links. So don't worry about writing these down right now. But just to mention that this is a blog post where um, I dig into that topic of, you know, this idea of moving forward with grade level content and going ahead and weaving in the prior grade level skills as well. All right, the second thing that can be a challenge is the sense of urgency and pacing. So when, um, you know, I think math teachers are always very busy. And if, like, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a teacher that would say, you know, I just have all the time in the world. Like, I never have an issue with pacing. And even if all of your students were, you know, quote unquote, on grade level, I still think there's just a lot um there's just a lot of content. And even though the standards have, you know, changed a bit, there's just this sense of, you know, there's never enough time kind of. And I think doubly so when you're working with students with unfinished learning, because then you feel like not only do I have all this current grade level work, but I have the previous grade level work too. So like, how can this possibly all get done? So the reframe here is, to adopt a less is more mindset. I think, you know, that's the only thing that I've seen that really works is to, from the beginning, say, we are going to do, you know, we're going to put quality over quantity. And so we're going to prioritize, we're going to really figure out what the most important content is, and we're going to give it the time that it needs. And um, we're not, the solution is not going to be just to race through as many standards as possible and to teach things as quickly as we can. Uh, because when we try to do that, usually what happens is procedural step-by-step -step teaching. Because, you know, let's face it, that's kind of the quickest path from A, A to Z usually, or from A to B, I should say. Um, but there's no retention there. The students don't really understand it. And so in the end, it doesn't pay off. So I mentioned these things just to kind of put them on your radar um, and, and maybe think about like your situation and if you've seen these things happen in your school where, um, you know, there has kind of been this pressure to move fast and move quickly. And, you know, is there a way to slow down and just say, we're going to really just do the most important content of the grade level and do it really well? Um, and we'll find some time for the, the other things, but we're going to not just worry and, like I said, race through everything. And then the third thing was one that came up in the chat a lot, this idea, so I put it as, you know, students' history with math and kind of what that does with their belief in themselves. And a lot of times students who have historically struggled have, you know, a history of, you know, Cs, Ds, Fs even. They um, maybe, you know, just have adopted this belief that I can't do it. I'm no good at math. I'll never understand it. And what that tends to do is, you know, decrease obviously their confidence, but then with that, their engagement and their motivation to keep trying sometimes, oftentimes I should say. And so what I would say here is that 
all is not lost. Like we, um, when I was a math coach, we spent a whole semester really working with students on their mindsets with math. And with that, it opened the door for new results. And so no matter, you know, even if your students are in middle school or high school, it's possible to help them shift their math identity and adopt these new math mindsets and more positive, you know, mindsets about math and themselves as mathematicians. And that really will, um, you know, catapult them towards new results. So we're going to talk about that and you'll see that in the, the process that I'll share with you. Okay, so if those are the challenges, then, you know, let's talk about solutions here. So I call this bridge to grade level math. It's a five-step solution, quote unquote, five-step framework, really. And this is, again, kind of the way that I've packaged up the things that we did at, at the school that I worked at. Um, and we had, you know, fabulous results um, where our students grew over the course of one, two, or three years, depending on how long they were with us. Our summative assessment scores um, jumped 30% in three years. Our NWEA MAP scores um, grew every year. And so, but then also I've had the chance to consult and coach teachers at other schools. And this is the process that I work through with them. And we've seen a promising results there as well. So I share this with you and of course, take what you know will work for you, take what resonates and leave the rest. Now, before we start, I'm curious, these are, you know, we have the five steps. And so each image uh, is kind of symbolic of the step. I'm just curious, you know, do you have any guesses about what, what the different parts might be, especially based on these pictures? So I'll give you like a minute or so to just take some, make some hypotheses. Okay, I'm not going to read these out loud, but I'll, it'd be fun to scroll through the chat and just see what others said. Some of you are, are correct. <laughs> All right. Time for the reveal. All right. So the first part is to envision. And this is for you as the teacher or the coach. So you, within whatever role you have, maybe you're even a district leader or principal, it seemed like we had mostly um, teachers here and coaches. So the first step is to set a vision for equitable math instruction. Big question I like to ask here is just, what does equitable math instruction look like, sound like, and feel like? And this honestly is something you can do in as little as like five minutes. You can take your notebook out and just jot down some bullet points. You can take post-it notes and just put one idea on each one. This isn't something that typically takes a lot of time, but it is something that I find gets skipped a lot. Um, especially for school teams. And so if you're working in a school, again, that has a lot of students with unfinished learning, 
one thing that can really help students is all getting on the same page about what do we want math instruction to look like. And getting your vision down on paper, it sounds so simple, but it really can be such a game changer. It's also really, really important because sometimes I've noticed that there can be a difference between what we say we want math instruction to look like, sound like, and feel like, and what ends up happening when um, you're kind of faced with those day-to-day -day decisions about what to teach and how. And again, going back to the challenges of um, students maybe not being as engaged as you want, students not having as much confidence as you want, um, that, that urgency, the pressure of moving ahead and keeping up with the pacing. What I see a lot is people, educators who will say, I want math instruction to look um, this certain way, have a lot of discussion, have, you know, students be the problem solvers, have, have a lot of rich tasks and, um, you know, real life problems and things like this. But then one of the barriers that seems to come up between, you know, from making that actually a reality are some of those challenges. It's like, I would love to teach that way, but I've got to keep moving. I would love to teach that way, but my kids are so behind. I would love to teach that way, but when I ask my students a question, like hardly anybody raises their hand. And so then I just end up showing them how to do it. So another reason to write it down and revisit it is just to keep that vision top of mind and um, to kind of keep that motivation up for you to say like, this is really important to me. This is really what I believe math instruction should look like and I want it to look like in my classroom. So if I am facing some of those other challenges, like let me look for a workaround. Let me find a way to, to still you know, meet my vision while um, solving for those challenges. A couple of the places I love to look and I usually share with, with people to get some inspiration for your vision are the eight effective math teaching practices from NCTM's Principles to Actions, and also the Instructional Practice Guide, which is from Student Achievement Partners, and you can find that on achievethecore.org. Achieve and that can just help sometimes with some of the language or um, almost just like a, a gut check or an audit. If you've written down your ideas and you're like, oh, maybe I'm missing, you know, you think you might be missing something important, you can pull up those documents and just skim through and see if there's anything you wanna add or maybe something you weren't quite sure like how to phrase can give you some language for that. So if you are um, you know, a teacher and you wanna share this with your team or if you're a coach and you think this would be a good activity to do, those might just be two documents to you know, share the link to or have printed out as a way to just um, you know, get, get people's minds moving. All right, then part two is invest. So with investing, we're gonna develop a classroom culture to support your math vision. Now, this is something that, you know, has gotten more and more popular over the last several years. This idea of, you know, classroom culture and classroom communities and math mindsets and strong math identities and all these things. Um, but I, I have found that if we skip this step, uh, it can, what can happen is like there can be some 
almost like backfiring that happens. If you go into a classroom and let, let's say that you go to a conference or you're on a, a virtual um, you know, summit or something like that, and you hear about a new strategy that you've never heard of before. And you're like, so excited to try this strategy. And so you bring it back to your classroom and you're just like, all right, kids, today, instead of doing, you know, guided notes like we've done for the past, you know, two months, um, today we're going to, we're going to do a rich task. We're going to do a three act task, let's say. And you're just like, die, you know, jump right in. And the class looks so different than how it's looked before. And, and what you might find is that you're going to, you know, not have a lot of engagement or maybe when you, you know, let students work in groups, like they're completely off task the whole time or something, or you're really wanting them to share these different strategies and even have someone share who, you know, got the wrong answer and they're, they don't want to, they don't want to be, you know, put exposed in that way and be vulnerable. So I've, I've heard this a lot. I've seen this a lot. And so it is the cause. This is the reason why this is a actual piece of the framework where, okay, stop, take a minute here and let's invest students in your vision. You've written it down. You know what you want it to look like. Bring the kids on board, you know, with you and share that with them and share with them why, why maybe you're making a shift. Or if it's not a shift, you can still um, kind of the I think the phrase is expose the architecture, you know, even if you've been doing this the whole semester, but you've never explained to them why, that could be um, another level of investing. So you can just take a moment here and think, you know, how can you invest students in your vision or how have you done it? I thought this would be a great time for those of you on the call tonight to like share with each other maybe some things you've done that have worked really well or some ideas that are coming up right now that you want to try. And we can all kind of have this collective um, brainstorm of things and ways to invest students in your vision. So again, I'll give you about a minute here to think about that and chat in the box here. I know a lot of times people do this at the beginning of the year, the first week or two, there's activities, um, discussions. Okay, here come the ideas. Collecting beads for mistakes. Ah, and use them to make art. That's That sounds very cool. I've never heard that. Showing that mistakes are a wonderful thing. I love that, Shelly. So that, that is a great idea. I think that's something to anchor right here. So whether you do beads, like Shelly's saying, they collect beads for each mistake they make and then turn them into art to kind of really symbolize this idea that mistakes are beautiful. Mistakes are wonderful. I love the idea of doing an activity that is memorable for kids and that you can refer back to in those tough moments. So whether it's beads and art or whether it's, um, you know, uh, I, I shared a story with my students one time called The Three Ralphs. Uh, and because it was a story that had been told to me as a child and I had a, actually my dad's name is Ralph too, so it was kind of funny, but it had a special place in my heart. 
but it's the story about how these two parents raise their three kids. They're trying to be fair. And so they do everything the same with their three kids, even though they're different genders, they're different ages, they have different interests. And so they name all three of their kids Ralph and they make them all wear diapers. And it's just, it's kind of goofy like that, but it was an introduction to the idea of differentiation in our class because I knew that I was going to have some times where different students would be pulled into a small group and different students might actually have, you know, a reassessment at some point or some extra or different um, activities to do based on, you know, the skill they were working on or something like that. And so the story of the three Ralphs became something we could refer back to. So I love that idea of an activity, um, something visual is probably even better, like the art. Okay, Jillian said Cir Friday circles where they could um, just get to know each other and build that community. Talk about goal setting and um, just building that community. Right, because if you want students to make mistakes, right, you want them to be comfortable sharing and kind of being vulnerable, like that goes with having a stronger relationship, right? Which I think um, seems obvious, but sometimes... I know I forgot that as a teacher and just because I was comfortable, you know, making mistakes, didn't always think about that they might be feeling really vulnerable. Okay, Lori brings up Joe Bowler's work on growth mindset and productive struggle. Absolutely. If you are um, wanting some ideas for this, go to U Cubed. So Y-O-U Cubed. And Joe Bowler has a ton of resources that, and activities that you can pull from to do to um, cultivate math more mathematical mindsets. Okay, Daniel says asking students what does it mean to be good at math. I love that. So you could ask them that. Do a brainstorm. Put the ideas on a poster and keep that poster up, right? Or have them draw it, and it could go on a bulletin board and kill two birds with one stone there by getting your bulletin board done. Okay, I'm going to keep us moving here, but these are really great ideas, and I hope you all. Um, have a chance to skim through here and write some of these down. Okay, awesome. Here were some of the ideas that I had. Let's see. I guess the only one that probably didn't come up yet or that I didn't see was this idea of incentives and positive reinforcement. I've found, especially if you're working with a class where it's like the majority of students have some resistance to like rigorous math or a lot of them have had this um, experience of feeling kind of beaten down in math class. Sometimes it can be really helpful to start with like an um, external motivator, extrinsic, I guess is what I'm looking for, to get that intrinsic motivation first and eventually the int intrinsic will come too. So, you know, maybe a token economy kind of thing or something where, you know, something simple. I'm always a proponent of simple systems. But if you're finding that, it, you know, people are, your students are really, really resistant to some things and you want to work on one thing in particular, like maybe it's, you know, the making mistakes or maybe it's um, just even getting started. That was one thing with our students. They really preferred to leave their paper blank or write, they would write I-K, wait, I-D-K, I don't know, rather than risking like a wrong answer. So we started just finding ways to positively reinforce just that, that risk taking, that um, 
you know, putting something down versus leaving it blank as a first step. And that kind of got the ball rolling. All right. The third part is access. Uh, I also sometimes call this one entry. So either way, entry, access, but using strategies to increase access to grade level content. So once you have your vision, you've spent some time working to invest students. Next, I would start thinking about your day-to-day -day lessons. So what is tomorrow's lesson, right? The grade level content, I'm following my scope and sequence. I'm, I'm you know, using the curricular resource or, or whatever it is that your school or district provides. And first, before you even say, you know, I have to go back, I have to, you know, go back to the previous grade level to say, is there a way, there probably is a way, what is a way that I can help all of my students from whatever point they're starting at to be able to engage with the grade level content, to be able to have entry into this particular lesson, this particular task? And some of you have already said this in the chat today, like meeting students where they are and then helping them get where they're going. So it's not a either or here. We're not just like, nope, just grade level. And like, you know, either you can do it or like too bad. But we're also not saying, you know, we're going to go back and start at square one. It's this both and of we're going to meet them where they are and we're going to get them where they're going. Now, because we only have one hour, we can't go through, you know, so many things in such detail here. But I do have a related resource I want to tell you about, which is a list of 10 strategies to bridge the gap to grade level math. And this is just a, you know, a list, a PDF of these 10 strategies that I've pulled together. And if you'd like to get this downloadable resource, you can go to mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash bundle. And um, you do have to put your email address in, but then I'll send it right to you and you can get them there. And again, at the end, I will share a Google Doc with, with all these links. So don't worry about that. I do want to mention three of my favorites, though. So the first one is Notice and Wonder, which many of you are probably familiar with. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Notice and Wonder and if you've used it in your classroom, if you do use it, if you love it. Now, unfortunately, Notice and Wonder, I learned about it after I was already out of the classroom, but this is one of my favorite ones to share with teachers and teams because it is um, it is just something you can pull out of your back pocket even if you hadn't planned on it. So you can plan it, right? If you're looking at your lesson and you're like, oh gosh, this is a, you know, like, I always think that that kind of that gut check, if you look at a problem and, you're, and what goes through your mind first is like, my kids won't be able to do this, or like my kids are going to have no idea what this is even asking or something like that, you can pre-plan that, you know, first we're going to do a notice and wonder just to kind of get them familiar with it and ease the anxiety and help them be able to, um, you know, identify some things they do know so that that can be like a jumping off point and building from what they know. Uh, which is something that I saw someone else write. But if you don't predict that, right, ahead of time, and you're just put, you know, you hand out the paper or you tell them to turn to a certain page or you, you know, project it on the board and you notice, like you're looking out and you see those deer in headlights look <laughs> from your students, you're like, okay, 
you know what, kids, first, I want you to tell me what you what you notice and what you wonder. So it's just something, you know, I, like I said, you can plan it ahead or you can just pull it out when you need it. So that's, that's why I love that. And as Melissa says, like, the kids love it. Um, teachers love it and also the kids, right? Everyone can notice something. Everyone can wonder something. There's no wrong answers. And it's just a great way for everyone to be able to participate and start to get their voice heard and start to participate. The second one is called Two Solutions. I named it Two Solutions, but I'm sure you are familiar with this. It's just this idea of, you know, when you're, um, it, of pulling two solutions that you see in the class, like when you're walking around and pulling them up to the board and, and showing them at the same time and then providing a discussion prompt for students. So it's, it's kind of like a playoff of the five practices where you're selecting and sequencing. But I, I think a simple way to start, if you haven't really done much of that before, is just to start with two solutions and pull them up at the same time. And they can be, you can be one's correct and one's incorrect. It can be two different solution pathways to the same, you know, answer. It can be um, even the same strategy, but represented maybe with two different models, something like that. And another thing I love to do is um, use one solution that you see, maybe it's a correct solution from your class. And then you can say, uh, pull one in from a different class. Like if you don't want to, you know, put someone on the spot, you can pull in an incorrect answer from a different class and say, you know, someone in fourth period did this. And let's, you know, I want you to discuss which one you think is correct and which one is incorrect and why. Or I, um, you know, notice that both of these uh, students got to the same answer of seven. But, you know, where do you see, like, um, where... I'm, I'm thinking about like a ratio and proportional reasoning problem where sometimes, you know, someone will use a a tape diagram and someone will use an equation or someone will use a table and someone will use, you know, a different model. And you can kind of ask them about that constant of proportionality. Like, where do you see the seven in each of these or something like that? And sometimes, you know, they, the students might not come up with one. You can, you can do your own. You can say, you know, this is how I was picturing it. This is how I was looking at it. So you, you can, you can kind of like fudge with this one and, um, move the move the discussion in the direction that you want <laughs> with two solutions. I think another place I love two solutions is after an assessment. So if you've given an exit ticket or a quiz or um, even a unit test, it's a great way to kind of quote unquote, you know, go over the test without it being, um, you know, dry or boring. And it's a way to kind of turn it back to the students by saying, you know, we're going to look at two different answers to number four and have a discussion about that. And then the third one is prioritizing tasks. So this is one where um, I think we need to give ourselves the freedom. If you're a leader, please give your teachers the freedom and the autonomy to prioritize. You know, if, we're, if we don't want to, um, you know, take, take one lesson over four or five days, then sometimes that idea of quantity over, or sorry, quality over quantity can be present in the lesson level as well, right? As well as over time, 
like I was saying earlier, if you think of it at the lesson level, what you might do is say, you know, okay, the curriculum has, you know, six problems in here. I'm going to pick two or three where we're going to spend the majority of our class time. Or maybe I'm going to pick one where we spend the majority of our class time. And the others are going to be, you know, practice problems where they have eight or 10 minutes or something like that. So you'll see these three um, within the 10 strategies, but I just wanted to kind of give you a little preview of a few of them so you can see if it's the kind of thing that would help you. So there's seven more inside of that. Okay, part four, engage. So again, you've set your vision, you've invested students in it, you've really thought about like, all right, where do I think kids might get tripped up? Or where, which problem or problems um, might need, you know, need to add something to it or provide that on-ramp? And now you're ready to really engage students in the deep thinking. And so for part four, I think a big place to start is creating opportunities for students to think and talk about math. I think... Sunlight is to flowers as discussion is to math. Like, right, if we want students to grow, they have to be able to talk about math, get their ideas out, like have a sounding board, get some feedback from others. And also when they're, when they're talking, they're processing. So many of us are verbal processors and, and students are too. You know, I find that if you ask students a question and let them talk it out, oftentimes they will come to their own solution. Like they'll work it out. Even if they start kind of down an incorrect path, they'll oftentimes catch themselves and be like, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense or something like that. So um, there's tons of ways to engage students, of course, but I do think a great starting point is to think about how do we get kids talking more in math class? So I mentioned earlier that I have a podcast, and if you're looking for some ideas about how to get kids to talk more about math and um, and engage them in that deep thinking, these are three episodes that are uh, really great for that topic. So episode 12 is with Paula Murphy, who was my math coach when I was a teacher, and it's about how to get kids to talk in math class. She's got some great ideas and she also really goes into the why behind it and why it's so important. So if you're a teacher and you're here and you're already bought in, but maybe you have a colleague who, you know, teaches from the board and is still kind of doing that sage on the stage routine, um, you could share this podcast with them and encourage them to listen to episode 12. Or if you're a coach, you know, that could be a good idea too. You could share it with your team and then bring them into a PLC or a PD and say, okay, let's, um, you know, what did you take from that episode and uh, what do you want to try in your classroom? Episode 22 is a solo episode. It's a pretty short one, but um, I basically just give some other ideas to try other than asking students, what should I do first? <laughs> Which is a very common question I think we ask as math teachers if, we're, if we've assigned a problem and now we're going over it. A lot of times they'll say, what should I do first? So it's just ideas of what else to ask. So that one's really more about teacher questions and how you can ask questions that get kids to do the thinking and the talking more than you. 
And then episode 42, Putting Students in the Driver's Seat with Carla Morris, is about this idea of shifting the lift and shifting the thinking to students. If you're interested in the podcast, it's on all the apps, you know, Spotify, Apple, all the things you could just search for it. And uh, But I, I also linked it in the Google Doc that I'll share at the end. Okay, part five is increase student understanding and address misconceptions by re-engaging. So this is sort of like we have engage as step four, right? So you're teaching the lesson here. You're trying to engage them in, in deep thinking and get them to do the work and the talking and making sense and all those good things. Um, but inevitably, like you're going to have either some students who it doesn't quite spark with yet or maybe just a, a piece of it. So if you're looking at your assessments or you're, you know, you were circulating the room during work time and listening into student conversations, or even if it was a class discussion, a lot of times you can tell, okay, this landed, the students really understand this part, but this other part, we need some more work on it. And sometimes it can be tempting to just kind of do the same thing again the next day. Um, this is something I noticed, you know, I mentioned picking up on trends over time. When I worked at the at, uh, Achievement Network, one of the big things with that organization was um, helping schools to give quarterly interim assessments. And we would support them with analyzing that data and then responding to the data by planning uh, what was called a reteach lesson. But what we kind of saw over and over again was that a lot of times, you know, students would, or teachers would plan a lesson either for a small group or the whole class. And it really looked very, very similar to what the initial instruction looked like. And so the big you know, message here is to do something different than you did the first time. Find a different angle, a different way, a different perspective to support the students um, you know, with a, a new learning experience to try to continue making sense of the math, to continue, um, you know, honing their skills. And so a couple things to try are to include a concrete or visual model if you didn't in the initial instruction, or maybe to try a different one. Um, I saw someone earlier put CRA, so like the concrete representational abstract progression. And so, you know, a lot of times in middle school and high school, we are meeting uh, the standards at a place where they're already in the abstract. Not always, right? There's some concepts that are new and the standards will usually start us off with an opportunity, you know, and a like they'll name that we're using visual models. But a lot of times um, we're already in the abstract. So if you find that students have unfinished learning or you, you know, taught the unit and we're still having trouble, I would say one strategy is to take a step back on that CRA progression. So if you, even if you already did some visual models, maybe pull out something concrete. Or if you did start in the abstract um, and you see that some students are still, you know, not getting it, quote unquote, you know, they're still not with you take a step back, try something visual, try something representational and add that in as you're continuing to teach. And then the other one is to pull in two solutions here. So discussing pieces of student work, right? You've already 
um, gathered some some data, you've gathered some student work, right? Because you uh, have done that initial instruction. So whether you walked around and you know took screen took um, a picture with your with your phone, or maybe you've collected those pieces of work, or again you're you know, grading a quiz or test or something, that's a great thing to do is to plan a re-engagement lesson based off of that student work by picking a couple of responses and planning a discussion prompt for students. This is um, a, a blog series that I co-authored with a former colleague of mine, Becca Varen, and in it, it's a six-part series where um, we take standards from middle school and we kind of run them through this three-step process of digging into the standard, kind of unpacking the standard and what it means, thinking then thinking about what the prerequisites would be for that standard. Then we, um, the second step is called diagnose. And so we were sort of doing this in the abstract in, in theory, but based on our accumulated experiences over the years. And so we propose kind of some places where typically students will struggle. So diagnose would be obviously for you to see where your students are still having trouble, but we put some um, ideas down that are like common areas we've seen. Okay. So Again, like here's a standard, here's what the standards me standard means, here's what comes before it, but then here's a lot of times where students struggle with this standard. And then we give some ideas um, in the third step we call take action. But in that third step, we give some ideas and link to tasks and link to different things in those blog posts where um, you can teach the grade level content while working on some of that unfinished learning. So if you're looking for ways to um, engage students or re-engage students, even if you're in uh, teaching high school, I would still encourage you to take a look at this series because there is a lot of overlap, you know, between eighth grade standards and like algebra one standards, for example, and things like that. So, and, and even if you can't use the standards exactly, you'd be able to kind of see the, um, the way that we that we approached it in these. Okay. All right. So that is the five step process: envision, invest, um, increase access, engage your students in that deep thinking, and then re-engage in a different way. So now that we have um, talked through all five of the pieces, I just wanted to share with you, you know some thoughts about what's next. Now, the first thing is obviously move through the five steps in order, one at a time. If you've already done so, then use your judgment, right? If you've already um, done some of these, maybe you start with step three or um, cycle back. And you can use the information from this session and the resource resources that I shared to support you. I am going to put in the chat that Google Doc that, um, that I mentioned earlier that has the links to all the resources that I shared in here. And it also has my contact information at the bottom in case you'd like to reach out with questions or for support or anything like that. Please let me know if when you click that, you do not have access. I thought I opened the share settings, but you know, <laughs> just let me know if, if that's true. 
But there's a lot here to get you started. And especially on that second bullet point, it says bridge to grade level math framework. If you want um, your own PDF of these five steps with a lot of um, ideas in there, that would be the one to go to, that second bullet point. But um, all the blog posts and the podcast and everything are, are linked on that Google Doc. The other option is if you think that you want more support along the way, like you're not a person who likes to do things totally independently and you would prefer kind of having a guide, I am working with some teachers and kind of running like a um, semester long sort of professional learning series is what I'm calling it, starting this month through May. And we're really just going to go through one step per month. And that's going to be, I'll release a video. Um, so I'll send that to whoever signs up at the beginning of the month. You can listen to the video. It's on, you know, go more, much more in depth on that step and provide additional resources and ideas and things like that and a workbook. And you can work through that asynchronously, you know, listen to it on your well, whenever, <laughs> doing dishes, <laughs> uh, folding laundry, those kinds of things. And then there'll be a live uh, Q&A call on Zoom where you can ask questions and get support with your specific uh, circumstance. So I linked that on the resource doc as well. If you're the type of person that, you know, if your school has funds and uh, gives you money for PD and things like that, you know, this would count for that and you can use your ESSER funds. So that is that is that. I just wanted to mention that that's available for you. And now it looks like we have a couple of minutes here in case there are any questions. So I will come back on video here and um... thank you very much, Chrissy, for sharing with us. I hope you'll be able to stick around for a few more minutes yes. to answer questions. Absolutely. Everyone in attendance, thank you so much for joining us tonight. On January 25th, Denise Green and Allison Lynch will talk to us about how mathematical modeling supports readiness for college math. Cool. Thanks, all of you, for your participation. The chat was very alive. That was really helpful to me to um, get your feedback and hear your thoughts, too. So thank you for coming. I see a couple people have to run. Thanks, Shelly. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Lombardo. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Belinda. Any questions? Happy to answer any questions. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Mindy. Thanks, Christine and Anna Marie, Melissa. It is such a friendly chat, Rana. <laughs> Gloria and Sarah, what a great community. Thanks, Juan. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate you all being here and taking time out of your busy schedules. I know you have a lot to do. Thank you, everyone. Thank you yeah, for being thank here. You so thank you so much. For present. Yeah. Olive, I believe there is a recording that'll be up within 24 hours. Yeah, you can uh, you you can use the same link that you use to register for the webinar to access the recording. It's usually available actually uh, within twelve hours, but we say twenty four just to be on the safe side. Okay.
Awesome. Thank you, Gretchen. Thanks, Lynn and Sarah. Recordings of actually previous webinars is also available, which many people use for professional development in the work that they do. Very cool. Thank you, thank you, Juan. Yes, this is a wonderful community uh, and we have a ton of good resources, particularly these webinars and the recordings. Yeah. Thanks, Anthony and Bill. And thanks, Rana, for hosting. Oh, this was wonderful. I don't think we have any questions. <laughs> I'm happy to stay on. Maybe it was just that clear. Uh, we do have a question. This might oh, be too okay. long, but on the teacher school level, how do you suggest managing up and getting leaders on board with these things? Less is more. Mm. This question comes to us from Jillian. How do we suggest managing up from Jillian? Okay. Um, it's funny because I... <laughs> Okay, I, I know Jillian, Jillian, I don't know if I'm gonna have any new guidance from what we've talked about in the past, but I will I will try. I think um, two thoughts come to mind. The first is letting them hear it from multiple sources. So you saying it, sharing a podcast where I say it, sharing um, research that says it, um, Achieve the Core has a, a lit review, I think, related to the IPG, which essentially cites research for how the standards were written. So things like that, it, you can trace that back to the shift of focus. So what is the research on with the shift of focus, I guess is what I'm saying. That would be one place to look is in that lit review. Um, because just to just to share with them why why did we narrow in on the standards why do we have major work of the grade things like that so i would say like hitting them with multiple sources so it's not just you saying it but kind of showing them like this really is what the math community and you know believes now and and is moving that way and then i think the second thing is that i um I've even, I even know, you know, leaders in your network where, you know, again, it's this idea of saying one thing, but kind of on the day to day making decisions that are not aligned. So I think with that, it would be gently calling attention to that and just saying, you know, okay, remember that shift of focus that we've talked about. Remember in the vision, we all talked about wanting to go deep and letting kids do, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is one of those times and one of those places where we really need to put our money where our mouth is, right? Like how, um, 
and just like taking the abstract and bringing it to the day-to-day, -day, right? So that means whatever it would mean. So if they're, I, I don't know in this scenario, you know, what you're thinking a leader would be doing, but if they're putting pressure on teachers or if they're like, I don't know, getting out of whack with the scope and sequence or something like that. Like if you can intervene there and just remind them, like, remember, like if, if we send this message, like what's going to happen then is procedural teaching probably. And that's not aligned to our vision. So I think another thing sometimes is leaders need to see, experience the challenge. So potentially bringing them into a planning meeting or something or, or help having them ride along with you, like on a whole cycle where they're planning and then observing because sometimes you know you plan and you and you think it's going to take one class period and the leaders even saying we can't be taking one lesson for two class periods but then they go and try to teach it or they co-teach it or they're even observing and then they can see like oh you're right the kids really do need an extra day we're looking you know you did a great job in class and you were allowing them to make sense of it and we're looking at the exit tickets and we see that they do still need a little more time sometimes they need to really see it at you need to help them uh get more realistic with it by bringing them down to the, the level of the day-to-day -day. um Thank okay, you, you said, so much, oh, Chrissy. Yeah. <laughs> We've come to the close of the hour. Okay. Uh, Ismail also had another question, but uh, perhaps he can email you to um, uh, have that query. Absolutely. Yes, I will. I'm very responsive with email. So please hit me up with your questions. Happy to answer them. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Thank you so much.